Welcome to Life With Your Dog podcast. Our focus is educating dog owners, enthusiasts and dog trainers about ideas on how to train, manage, live and thrive with our dogs. To teach dogs to live in our society while our dogs teach us how to live in the now. I'm your host Panos Anagnostou. And I'm your co-host Luke Badman. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Life With Your Dog. My name's Panos and I'm joined over Zoom. Guest today, Andre Popovich. How are you, my brother? Very well, my man. How are you? Very, very good. Thanks. We've been trying to G these up for a while now and I'm happy that we've done it. Oh, and, fine. Um, I didn't think it was just going to be one of those things that never happened. So it's good that we're here, man. No, no. If we're going to say we're going to do something, we have to follow through every single time. Hey, consistency, That's right? That's it. And persistence. Um, how you doing, man? I know you've got a, a litter of puppies at your house. What's going on? Tell us. Man, it's good fun. Um, I've taken the past three weeks off work, um, tending to the puppies. So it's my female Delta. Um, a lot of my clients that potentially will be listening to this know Delta very well. She comes with me to all my sessions. Um, she's an awesome dog, man. She's just a perfect dog. And she's an even better mum, to be honest. She's made my life a lot easier than my last litter that I had with Buffy. Um, she wasn't the best. She had to have a lot of, you know, assistance from myself. Um, but the puppies. What did that look like? What does that is it? What does that involve? Just a lot of cleaning, man. A lot of cleaning. A lot of, I guess, lack of trust in Buffy. Buffy's can be quite unpredictable. Um, she can be a little bit snappy. Um, so there was a lot of monitoring. Um, especially with Roddy's, they're so big. So if you're, let's say, got a litter of puppies in the whelping box, like I'll give you an example. Buffy's one of Buffy's litter mates died from Buffy's mum stepping on one of the puppies. Mm. So they're just big, heavy dogs, and they can cause damage on such a young young pup. So okay. there was a lot of monitoring um, and obviously a lot of cleaning because Buffy didn't really clean up herself. Um, the one thing she was good at, she was- When super- you say cleaning for the listeners, you're talking about the mum dog licking the puppy. Correct. Right after she's come out. Not not even, no. no. So there, is, the time. there is that, but I'm talking about just the regular um, toilet that the, dog, the puppy goes through. So- Pretty much what Delta does is she'll stimulate the puppy's private parts pretty much, and then the puppy will pee and poo. And then oh. they'll lick it and clean it all up. Wow. Like like not like it's never even happened. Whereas Buffy, uh, she did somewhat stimulate. Wait, hold on. So the mum is supposed to eat the feces and urine Correct. from the puppy? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess because it's all, look, I'm not a vet, but it's all just kind of going through her because it's all come, it's all the first three weeks is just. It's all her anyway. Exactly. So, and it's probably helping with microbiome and all that sort of stuff exactly. as well, I'm sure. Exactly. So we've got like another week to go for, for Delta to feed. But yeah, pretty much that's where Buffy was lacking. Um, whereas Delta's just handled it like a champ, man. It's it's one of the most incredible things to see when you breed a litter is seeing nature and instincts work. Because it's weird. I feel like this is not judging like the human mums out there, but- I feel like a lot of like, let's say people when they're expecting a baby, maybe it's just through like excitement, but they'll, you know, listen to podcasts, they'll read books, they'll talk to friends that have done it before. There's so like such a lack of, I guess, knowledge in that sense. Whereas when you just see a puppy have a litter, it just fucking happens. It, it, the It's like the dog just knows what to do straight off the bat. And it's just the most fascinating thing to see happen right in front of you. Like to see Delta, I was questioning like, Delta's just my baby. I, in my eyes, she still hasn't even matured. She's just a little dog. And man, just to see her change from 
And Dolce is a German Shepherd, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. working on German Shepherd. And, yeah, just to see her change into a mum like that was just incredible to see, man. She was just, yeah, she's handled like a boss. And like I said, she's um, made my life so much easier, which is really good. Um, that's it now, man. I've pretty much just been monitoring, you know, a big part of it is making sure the puppies are healthy. Um, so there's a lot of, like, for example, I have to check the puppy's weights every day. Um, if some puppies are falling behind, then, you know, to, you know, kind of monitor that puppy and figure out what's going on there. Touch wood, everything's been okay with this litter. Um, and that's it, bro. Other than that, um, I'm pretty much just waiting now for them to become a little bit more exciting. Uh, we want, you know, some personality to come through. They're still just little blobs. They've started to open their eyes now, which is really cute. Um, they're still deaf, I believe. I think from day 18 onwards, they start to hear. Their ears open up. Um, yeah, that's it, bro. Other than that, um, the litter's been good. How, how much help have you been getting from other experienced people in this process? With this litter? I've pretty much done it all alone. Um, my last litter, uh, I couldn't even write a big enough list on how many people were willing to help, which was awesome. I made sure to reach out to a lot of people because, man, I was fucking nervous. I wanted to make sure I did it right. And it's a it's a weird feeling. It's like you're you're kind of playing God when you're breeding. You're you're creating life, and it's it's a big responsibility to have. And people need to take it seriously. I mean, it's not it's not something really that simple. So. You know, I spoke to a lot of experienced breeders that have been doing it for, you know, longer than I've been alive. So, um, you know, she had got so much wisdom from that last litter I had. And so far this litter, I've been able to handle it all on my own. But, man, with these things, things always happen. So I'm still obviously got people on standby in case uh, I need to reach out. But, yeah, for now, um, I've been pretty impressed with myself on I've been managed to managed to pull through it all okay. So, so far, so good. That's awesome, bro. And how specific were you about who the mum and dad is? What what's the specific um words to use instead of mum and dad? Dam and sire. Yeah, That's damn. It. So yeah, Delta the Dam, uh, the sire is Zan, uh, Zane from Monsimbi, which I know you know. Yep. Um so look, I'm very picky. Um I'm not a a big breeder. I breed a litter every year or two. So the litters that I do have, I make sure that you know, they're somewhat perfect. Uh, there's no such thing as perfect, but we we try to stack the odds in our favor. Um, uh, I guess I will never just pick a male for the sake of it. The good thing is, as a breeders, we actually have a huge selection of males, um, I guess, due to the whole importing frozen semen and things, stuff like that. So there's a huge selection that you can choose from. Um, but something about Zane, so I've actually worked one of uh, Zane's sons, um, at my IGP club, uh, Rocky, uh, awesome dog. Shout out to Jake, um, Rocky's owner. So fell in love with Rocky and um, I built up a little bit of a relationship with Brad from Monsimbi and under some of his guidance as well, uh, we talked about, you know, dogs and bloodlines and what would be a good fit for Delta. And we decided to do this pairing. So Zane is the, the male that I use from Monsimbi. Um, sadly, he passed away. I think it was last year. So it was um, the meeting was done via frozen semen. Um, now, there's a thing that I guess I want to get into, and it's I'm trying to explain it in the most simple ways possible because people get confused about it. But it's it's line breeding. So there's a thing called line breeding and outcrossing, right? So do you know much about that at all? No, please educate me. Okay, so I'll give you an example of an outcross. So an outcross is let's say I bred Delta to another male. And that male and Delta share no common ancestry whatsoever. 
okay, maybe further all the way back 20, 30 generations, or sometimes you might find across, but in general, there's just, they're completely different. Now, there's breeders that do that, and then there's breeders that prefer line breeding. Um, Or some breeders do both. There's no right or wrong. It depends what, I guess, your vision is for the litter. Now, line breeding is, I guess, let's say, for example, I'll give a hypothetical. Let's say Delta's got a really cool grandfather that I like, and I find that he's come through in Delta, and I've spoken to the owner of their gra- that grandfather and, you know, the genetics uh, match up with what Delta's displaying. And what I can then do is I'll be like, all right, I want to produce a litter of puppies where that grandfather's genetics come through even more so further in the puppies, if that makes sense. So what I will do is I'll then go find the male who also has that grandfather in the pedigree somewhere. Okay, so what you're doing then is you're strengthening those genes in the puppies, hoping that those puppies will come out with more of that dog in them. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, it can be a difficult one to understand. I know it was for me back when I started. Um, but well, yeah, I guess, it's I guess a- it obviously it's very complex because sometimes genes will skip a generation, right? And right. it'll come back the next time around. So it, it obviously there's a lot of complexity. I guess before you continue, I'm really fascinated yep. just for some of the listeners that probably um, have never heard about oh you know a male and a female dog you just like make them and they make dogs what are you talking about um where there's a purpose for the litter that you've created you weren't just going i like german shepherds and i just want to make more german shepherds can you speak a little bit to that about what what your purpose was or is and um and you know the the thought and intention that goes behind it yep so first and foremost my purpose is to better the breed um i think that should be everyone's goal um, you know, what are you bringing to the table? Are you doing it like you said, because our oh, German shepherds are cool and my, my uncle and my auntie have got cool ones and we're going to smack them together, that kind of thing, which is where a lot of litters happen. Um, and look, I'm not going to shit on those people. I think it's just a lack of knowledge and understanding. Definitely. A lot of people that have said those things to me, I could have very easily said, mate, you're a fucking idiot, but they don't know. They don't understand what, you know, that, you know, maybe that dad has a certain genetic condition in there that may come through if it's, you know, bred with that female who also has it. Or maybe that grand, that dad's father has uh, a hip dysplasia, for example, that may come through the puppies. They're not aware of all this stuff. Um, so I think it's important that we educate rather than just like shitting on people like that. Um, so I guess my whole thing is, firstly, like I said, better the breed in Australia. Um, we're far away from the rest of the world, but we actually have, do have some good quality dogs here because of you know breeders like myself who do our best to breed for a reason and and, um, and can you discuss what makes it better yeah so you've got things like breed standard which you've got to take into account is the breed you know up to the standard and in terms of like you know um you could have angulations colors weights sizes all that sort of stuff um and then you've also got temperament okay so is the breed or the pairing that you're going to do going to produce the temperament that is reflective of a true German Shepherd, okay? If it's not, it shouldn't be bred, okay? There's a lot more to it. I actually prefer most working line German Shepherd breeders, in fact, prefer temperament over looks. And I heard someone say, I can't remember who said it, um, but when your dog one day passes away, you never really sit around the fire and say, oh, Remember how pretty that dog was? Oh, such a pretty dog. Oh, he was the most prettiest dog. It's the last thing you say. It's always, you always refer to the temperament of the dog. What made that yeah. dog great? Okay, so 
temperament is, you know, can be overlooked a lot of the time, whereas it's so important. And then, so I guess that's a big part of it. And why I'm passionate about the working line is keeping the German, the true German shepherd alive. Um, it's not a dog for everyone. Okay. It's not about having a litter and then just getting them outside. It's not about that. It's about when someone comes and inquires on a puppy, do they have what it takes to handle a breed like this? Do they want to have that responsibility to have a breed like this? Because it's it's almost a shame to send a puppy with such amazing bloodlines and potential to just a home that isn't going to use it for greatness, if that makes sense. So um, that's another big part of it as well. And so I, to- I totally know what that means. Again, what that would mean, I, I, I want to talk about, you know, just the ordinary pet owner listening to it, it's very important for us when we're us dog trainers are talking about potential and and what they can do and give them a work is that we, we you just mentioned before about IGP and you training with, within IGP and, and I want you to talk a little bit about that is yep. that we want to breed these dogs for the standard so that, you know, they are still in good health, physical condition, mental condition, along with having the ability to do the work, the sport and all the work. And what is IGP? I know I've asked others about what this is, but again, they keep changing the acronym anyway, so I don't think anyone can keep up. Yeah, yeah. So we'll start with Schutzen, which I guess is the OG name, um, but it's now called IGP. It's pretty much a sport, one of many. Um, So it's a sport that originated from Germany and it compromises of three components. So uh, protection, obedience, and tracking. And you start with what's called a BH, which is, I guess, called like the entry-level exam. And it's a pretty much like a, like a character test to make sure the dog is of sound mind to compete in a sport like this. So um, it's just an obedience routine that revolves around, you know, having the dog walk through people and heal and that sort of stuff. Um, and then you've got three levels to IGP, so IGP 1, 2, and 3. And that's when you actually start participating in tracking, protection, and obedience work. And it, as you go up the levels, it becomes more more demanding. Um, crazy sport. Um, it takes a lot of dedication um, to achieve, you know, good things in that sport. Um, it's it's about, I guess, perfectionism. If you're someone that's a perfectionist and you love accuracy and you'd love to work that way, then IGP's for you. Um, you know, it, it, for myself, for example, it's been a barrier to overcome because that's that's never been, I guess, the forefront of my training. So, for example, let's say with Delta. If she heals next to me, beautiful. That's all I need. I just need her to heal. Whereas you go to IGP and there's a way to do it. Is she straight? Is she veering to the side? Is she forging forward? Is she too far back? And there's so much to it. And they look at that all. It's not just like, oh, the dog's healing and that's fine. It's there's so much to it. And that's why it looks so pretty and you know beautiful when you see a dog out in the field working with their handler and um, doing this sort of stuff. So look, that that's one component of, of it. So there's sport. Um and like I said, there's so many sports that a dog can compete in. But there's also, like, let's say, police work. So I've actually got, um, let's say, in this litter, I've got two puppies so far going to IGP homes, which is amazing. And I've got a male going to the New South Wales police dog unit. Um, they're going to pick one at about six weeks, I think. So that's super exciting as well. And I guess it's it solidifies the reason why I got into German Shepherds. Um you know, seeing the dogs go out and do cool shit like that is why I breed them. Um, not That's not to say that, you know, I'm against sending a dog to a pet home at all. 
um, but it needs to be a dedicated pet home. To own a dog like a working line German Shepherd, it's needs to become part of your lifestyle. Um, and if it's not, it's not going to work. Pretty much, that's the simplest way to put it. Um, and I always say to people, a working line German Shepherd is the best breed in the world in the right hands, but the worst breed in the world in the wrong hands. The dog will ruin your life. Um, and, and that's the thing. It's all about like you know channeling drives, and uh, that's a big one. Like Delta, for example, when I take it to my sessions, people say and they're like, "Oh, that's the most calmest dog I've ever seen in my life." I'm like, "Mate, far from fucking calm." But in her mind, she's doing a job now. She's channeled it. She knows why she's doing it. There's a purpose. There's going to be an outcome later on. And she's on. She's in work mode. And that's, I guess, what people don't see. Whereas Delta in the wrong hands probably would have been returned home. Um, her drive is her drive's probably the only thing, I guess, um, stopping her from being the 100% best mum. Because when I put her to feed, the whole time she's just staring at me. She's just waiting for me to give her that, okay, so we can go get a reward for it. Yeah. Uh, she's just always looking for work. Um, and that's, uh, it can become, I guess, overwhelming for the regular person to own a dog like that. Um, it's, they're too demanding. They, they need something. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's somewhat cruel to send a dog with so much happening in their brain to a house where they won't be stimulated. Um, yeah. It'll send you mad. Do you know what I mean? So, I put a a post up the other day on Instagram with a photo of me and a dog from the shelter and dog's about eight months old, high high drive. I may have spoke about this in the last episode. And, um, and I, and I said, and I wrote the things that dog trainers love the most about certain dogs is exactly the reason why they make very undesirable pets. And, and, And it's exactly that, you know, you get the, the high drive working line breed. And we don't give them the work. We don't give them the job. And we want to talk a little bit about that to, to um, fr- from your perspective, what it is, what is, what does a day look like with, with a, with a working breed and what can someone do if they have a German shepherd working breed and not just a German shepherd working breed, but any working type of breed. Um, what does it look like for a pet dog compared to, you know, a dog that has involvement within sport and which, which means the person has to be training every single day to be getting those goals. Yeah. So, look, I guess so the, the I guess the question is what's the main difference and what it looks like compared from owning a pet dog to a working dog? Is that the that the question? Mm. Yeah. So, look, if for example, you know, Harry down the street goes, "Oh, I really want one of those puppies." Yeah. And he's like, "But what do I have to do to maintain and fulfill him?" Now, if you're someone that's that novice, you're like, "Oh my god, I don't know if if I want to sell him to you." Yeah. But um but let's just say you could. It's like, what well, what does it look like for you know a, a daily schedule for a working breed like that? Yeah. So I think, look, firstly, management's key. All right. So management's a huge one because if you don't have the skills on how to manage a dog, that's where it just goes to shit. Does the dog have a routine? Does the dog have a kennel? Um, you know, what? How are you stimulating that dog in the day? Is it just physical? Is it mental? How are you going to separate it? Um, there's so much to it in terms of where, like, I guess with a pet dog, you can kind of just wake up, feed it, go to work, come back, give it a pat, give it a cuddle, go to bed, and the dog's sweet. Okay. Whereas I'll give it like, let's say, for example, Buffy. So my Buffy is my Roddy. Um, she comes from show slash working line. So she's got a bit of both in there. Um, now, Buffy's the kind of dog that I can literally wake up, give her a hug. That's it. She's happy. Literally, like, she just wants some affection. She wants to know I'm there. She wants to know we're all good, um, and that's where it ends. 
Um, that's not to say that I don't give her more than that. It's just it's not going to be detrimental to her living that sort of life. She's you can fine. do that for two days in a row and it's not the end of the world. Correct. Yeah. She's cool. She's fine. Whereas Delta or let's say uh, my Dutch Shepherd Ivy, um, they'll make sure you know about it. So they'll, they'll let you know straight away, mate, you're not pulling your fucking weight. You know, <laughs> let's do shit. Okay. And it's one of those things where it's not their fault. And it, it's good because it's a kick in the butt and it gets you working. It's a, it, there's a direct correlation between damage of the house and how much you're giving the dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know, for example, on a day where I feel lazy, I'm going to wake up to new shit, tear up more holes, all that sort of stuff, as you know. Um, so as I, I an expectation. That. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it, it doesn't even, you know, mean bad dog. And that, that's what I guess what people yeah. fail to understand. They would take on a working breed like that and they'll be like, oh, it's a bad dog. Oh, my dog's terrible. My dog's shit. It's digging everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And I always say to people, it's not bad. It's not weird. It's like if, if you went driving and you saw out in the bush a dog digging, would you be, oh, what a shit dog? It's digging a hole. You wouldn't. I mean, it's it's just doing what a wild animal does. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, and that's why I say to people, it's it's you need to give the dog an outlet. It's we, as people, we have the luxury of when we're bored, we can call a mate, we can watch TV, we can go for a drive, whatever it is that you pass time with. Dogs don't have that luxury. So they only have a certain you know, way to have an outlet, and that's usually by damaging shit, unfortunately for us. So that's, I guess, probably number one, the most important thing to understand when you take on a working dog is how do you manage that, okay? And that's when, I guess, people need to understand a lot of dogs – we as humans, we don't have enough stamina to give what stamina or time to give what a working dog truly needs. No one does, I don't think, anyway. Um, so it is about management as well. So it is about having kennels set up and you know enclosures and runs and that sort of stuff because it's about also to protect them from themselves. I remember mm-hmm. once I um I've got like kennels set up for all my dogs. They're on kennel rotation. I remember once um I made the mistake of leaving Ivy out. And came home and there was blood everywhere. She cut her foot from launching at the fence all day, um, jumping at birds and stuff. And it's just, it's you got to have a management plan in place to protect them from themselves and also to, I guess, protect your house and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, it, that's, I guess, number one thing, management and knowing how to stimulate a working dog. It's not as simple as, oh, I'm just going to wake up and go for a walk around the block and that's, oh, the dog will be happy. No chance. Do you know what I mean? I actually don't think, I can't remember the last time I walked any of my dogs, to be honest. Like, I don't go for walks ever. It's just not something we do. We go out and do shit. Um, I'll throw them in my car. We get to our destination. We do shit. We go home. There's and, not even- and, and give us three variations of doing shit. Okay. So let's say I'll give you a day with my three dogs. So I actually have to take out my three dogs separately um, just because- Look, it gives me more one-on-one time with them, which I like, um, and it's just to protect them from each other. So I'll give you an example with Buffy. Buffy loves doing scent detection. Okay, so with Buffy, we'll go to the park and we'll do a lot of uh, – I've trained Buffy up on birch oil, okay, which is like an entry-level scent um, in competition terms. So we pretty much just do scent work at the park. And with Buffy, it's identify the scent, she gets fed for it. And – Man, 10 minutes of that, she's gassed. She's already 
But you know, after ten minutes, she's done. You, it, it, pretty much after ten minutes, she looks like looks like what she would usually look like after an hour walk. Okay, and that's ten minutes. Um, and it's just awesome to see because you're like, man, like this is beautiful. Like you're done in ten minutes. You must be really fulfilled because when they're using their noses, they're just working so hard. So, you know, scent detection is a big one. I think not enough people do scent, um, which is a shame because I feel like it's one of the only things that every dog is good at. Mm-hmm. Obviously, drives come into play as well, and how you know how much drive and hunt the dog has for the scent, um, which we can monitor anyway. But in general, I guess it is a sorry to cut you off. It is a shame, but it's also something that we don't share with the dog. Exactly, you know, because we don't. You know, um, when, when I was listening to the Canine Power on episode once, when when um Patcha was said, dogs dream in scent, and I'm like, oh wow, if that's true, yeah. that blows my mind. You, yeah. you can't even you can't fathom what the hell that even means now i can kind of have an understanding of of why it would be that way but we don't share that world and and you're right i was actually considering starting to do work with chili to start you know working on scent detection and and working on on that system because he's doing it all by himself all then i have nothing to do with it and it's nice to have another form of training to um to fulfill them in that way so yeah it's a good point 100% 100% man and it's just it's it's amazing because it's not hard to learn or teach um the dog cuz the the dog is just naturally so good i guess the biggest hurdle for that for everyone to overcome in general would be the dog's drives so the dog needs to have the willingness to find the scent what's the motivating factor behind finding that scent um once you can establish that and make it very clear for the dog it's easy from there um unless you're lucky enough to have a dog that's just naturally got the drive there even better you know, okay, so- I just I I get freaked out. I guess I've been resistant to it just because I know how the heck you're like, don't want to contaminate nothing. Keep it here. Do this with the gloves, and I'm like, oh, that that overwhelms me so much that I feel like it's just such a it's such a more of a mission to do. And I guess that's probably one of my reasons why I don't like doing it. Yeah. See, look, I don't pay too much attention to that just because through the the work I've done, um, it hasn't really affected her ability to find it. So it depends what you're, I guess, containing the scent in. I like to swap that around. So let's say I've got um, birch oil. Instead of always having the birch oil in the same plastic container, a lot of the time the dog can then search for plastic as well. I, I want to remove that. So I'll put it in like a metal like magnet case, for example, or I'll wrap it up in a tissue or I'll always kind of change it up in that way. Okay, yeah, yeah. I probably, funny you say that, I probably should start, doing it away from my own personal scent as well um, because it does – the dog can use that as a common denominator when looking for that scent. It, it, okay, because if you walk to a spot, then the dog – is he, is a dog following your track to get well, to it? Exactly. You exactly. know, like there's so much to it. It's like, I don't know. Ah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's why it's about, it's about finding, I guess, taking it step by step. So yeah. just like let's say in IGP tracking – the first, I believe, number one, level one, it, you set your own track, um, whereas level twos and threes, someone else sets the track. Okay. Yeah, but it, yeah. It's still about baby steps, you know what I mean? So it's it's about, you know, you could, like, then just get, you know, a mate to, you know, you sit in sure. the car, get your mate to go put the scent somewhere the day yeah. before. It doesn't even have to be that day. Just yeah. say, man, drop it whenever, wherever, and I'll go the next day and have a look for it. Okay? So there, there is, I guess, if, the, the main thing to remember is – just highlight that scent, get the dog to find it, and then from there you can start adding. So it's for me, it's all totally. about just getting started. Get sure. your foot in the floor, start it, and then you can start 
you know, increasing the difficulty incrementally, removing your scent from it completely. And you'll find that the dog overcomes it quite quickly um, because the dog finds the common odor. So yeah. let's say, for example, you want to, you want the dog, let's say you want to train your dog to find cheeseburgers. Okay. You don't have to get your dog to sniff out a cheeseburger every time. What's a common ingredient that's found in every cheeseburger? Cheese. Teach the dog how to find cheese and he'll find you your cheeseburger. Okay. So that's where I guess the important thing is. As long as the birch, for example, in this case, is always present. Would you probably say pickle is probably a better one to look for? Because cheese could be in like a cheese sandwich. That's a good point. Depends yeah, on maybe that. pickle is probably yeah. better. <laughs> that's a good point. I never thought about that. I'm going to stop using that analogy. Um, but that's a very good point. Exactly. So yeah, look, scent's fun, man. Scent's awesome. It's it's awesome to see the dog work for it, especially when they've got really high hunt. Um, so cool. scent is one that I do. Um, with Delta, I like- Wait, hold on. Do you do that every day with Buffy then? You do scent probably work? Or? Every, you know what? Probably every day. And she gets rewarded only for the food? Would you reward her with a tug from time to time? Or is it always food? Is that your ritual with her? With her, food. Because okay. it depends on the dog. She's She enjoys a tug but I don't find that she enjoys it enough to work hard for it. It's not primary. Okay. Yeah. She'll, she'll take it if I give it to her, but Buffy's food drive is just extreme. So yeah. I don't even want to utilize anything else. I, I'll be wasting my time when I already know what she really wants and it's food. Sure. Um, so with Buffy, it works awesome. Whereas let's say with, with Delta, um, Gemma Shepherd Delta, when I do it with her, I use toys um, because her hunt for toys is just extreme. And so I've never even used food with Delta, nor do I think her, you know, nor do I think she'd even do that well with food. Um, she just doesn't yeah. care enough for it. So I guess behind scent, like I said, the biggest hurdle is finding what gets your dog motivated to work for that scent because Definitely. the dog is working alone. You're not really mm. there involved. So you've got to hope this dog just wants to do it on their own accord. They don't, it falls apart. So that's mm. why it's important that the dog really wants this. Um, so I sense a big one, just obedience with Delta. Um, I put a lot of work in obedience just because she is my working dog. So I need to make sure she's always um, up to scratch and obedience. I find, you know, with dogs, the second you slack off, you see it straight away. Um, so I always like to keep that nice and sharp. So we'll do a lot of obedience, a lot of, you know, um, challenging things in terms of that, especially in terms of, I guess, impulse control. Um I, I never just do obedience, you know, in my backyard or anything. I don't think I ever train obedience in my backyard. We're always doing it outside, um, creating real-life scenarios and stuff like that. So that's how I get Delta working. And then included in that is rewarding of the toy, which is really all she cares about. She doesn't care how she gets the toy as long yeah. as the action equals reward of the toy. Um, Ivy, we do a lot of tug stuff. So Ivy just loves biting. It's what she lives for. So with Ivy, again, through obedience but rewarded with the tug. So as long as she's had her bite for the day, she's happy. Yep. She's fulfilled. That's all she needs. So and which one do you take to IGP? Delta. Yep. Yeah. So taking Delta, I used to take Ivy, but um, started doing some more suit stuff with Ivy and that kind of eliminates the option for IGP. And all no, I think- they only want the sleeve. Correct. Yeah. It just becomes too dangerous, man. Not to mention like when you've got- What about PSA? Would you do PSA with Ivy? Um, a lot of people have been telling me to do it with her. Um, mm. So I take her up to um, Toa Working Dogs, so Cole, mm. Ben, and Sinead. Um, I take her up there and they're either starting a club or they've got a club. Something's going on there with PSA. And, oh, cool. Uh, they are hounding me to come 
compete with her. My honestly, my biggest thing, Ivy's out. It's just not there hmm. uh, in terms of outing from a black. That's it's been my biggest thing with her. Um, it's just yeah, it's it's you got to see it for yourself, man. I'll come down soon. I'll bring. Yeah, let's do it. Show you what I mean. It's just she just gets into this state of mind where super possessive. It's just like when you make her work really hard for something, once she gets it, she feels like it's just her right and I don't want anyone to take it away from me. Now, genetically, she's been bred that way. Um, she comes from KMPB bloodlines and it's, you know, possession's a big part of the KMPB. Yeah, true. Um, so it's in there and that's the thing. So that's the biggest hurdle I'm crossing and nothing's going to make her come off that bite. Not a, not a prong, no, nothing. It's just a matter of, I guess now it's a matter of manipulating her into seeing that outing doesn't mean you're losing it. It means you, you get, get more. Back. Just release her for a bit and you'll get a straight back. Um, but yeah, I, I managed to achieve that with when I'm working with her. But when a decoy is involved and yeah, okay. screaming and putting pressure and forget her, she's never letting go. And mm -hmm. that's the that's the only reason I haven't decided to compete with her yet. Um, but we'll see. You never know. Never say. Okay. So I guess the the moral of all of that was that. These puppies are, and, and I guess the, the message that I want to get across right now is that you are breeding the dogs specifically for something, and yeah. it's not just because oh yeah, I'm cool and I like to have some German shepherds. There, yeah. there, there's a specific there's a specific intention for it, and I think it's just important. And we've had conversations. Um, I think with Shara, we had a conversation about um, you know, backyard breeding and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And it's just it's it's important that these things are considered when it comes to breeding any dog. Now, if we're talking about cavoodles, if we're talking about, um, no, sorry, let's not talk about cavoodles, cavaliers or yeah. golden retrievers or Labradors, like other, you know, purebred dogs, then yeah. you'd be breeding for other qualities. Exactly. So um, it's, it's what is the outcome? And of course, you're into the, you know, into the industry, you're into the game of, of dog training. So you know exactly what you're looking for. I just fear that it's, um, not Alfie. I'm just concerned that people breed dogs just because it's cool. And it's like, oh, why not? And matures them, this and that. Yeah. Along with the fact that look at all the work that gets put into even acquiring these dogs. And um, anyway, I was going to go on a rant, but I don't want to do that. Um, how old did you say the puppies are? Two weeks now, two weeks and a couple of days. Nice. Uh, yeah. So we've got three females left. So if anyone wants wants to inquire about a female. Um, I'm quite selective about where I send the puppies to. Um, it, just the type of breeder I am, especially because I'm not pumping out that many, I really like to stay involved in the puppy's life. It's actually part of the contract that I send out for people to sign. Um, I need nice. to, be able to check in with them every three months. Not that cool. I will, but I feel like it's expected. Um, I need to make sure the dog's always happy and thriving and the owner's responsible and given what the dog needs. So, um, I don't just sell a puppy. Uh, I feel like it, the puppy will still always be mine in a way. Obviously, they get the dog, but I will still always feel 100% responsible for that puppy's life because if the puppy has a shit life, it's my fucking fault. I gave it life. He didn't ask to be put here or she, and now they are, and if they're living shit, it's my fault. So I guess it's up to me as a breeder to really identify where the right home is and for the right people. And you find that out a lot. You get people to sign an application form and that gives you one, I guess, perspective of that person. But then after the application form, I organize a phone interview as well. And that's where, you know, you talk to them on a more informal level and you start to really get a gist of what they're about. And 
yeah, you just tell them straight, man. Like, I think this dog's for you. Or it's not for you, and that's it. Yeah. Usually they don't take it personal, but yeah, it's it's not about just getting them out the door. It's about making sure they find the right home and they're happy and fulfilled. Hundred percent, man. And and it's a good. It's good that you do that. It's good that you share that with us. And thanks for that because I guess that shows your intention about it, and also giving something for other people to think about is that the responsibility ends until the dog dies, right? Yeah. And um. And look, a lot of people may not agree, and you know, with, with that, with that perspective. But I think that's awesome, man. Good on you, bro. Yeah, I think look, it's important that people do agree, though, and, that, and that's and that's why I, people should never breed beyond their means. I don't like when mm-hmm. there's a pumping, you know, hundred liters a fucking year just for the sake of getting them out and making a buck because it's just like you don't. It's not humanly possible to maintain and monitor the puppy's development if you haven't yeah. that. Um, so that's, I guess, where I don't like where some breeders go. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I said, man, it's just uh, as ethical breeders, it's we get a bad rap as breeders, which is something I want to talk about as well. The whole fucking adopt those shot movement—it just pisses me off. Um, Let's talk about that. What 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 annoys you about it? It's just fucking stupid, man. Like as as ethical breeders, the world needs ethical breeders. All right, mm-hmm. so the adopt those shot movement, right? It's uneducated people that don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Now, don't get me wrong. Fuck, my heart breaks every time I see a sheltered dog and all that sort of stuff. I get it. Every dog deserves a home. Not every dog. Obviously, as you know, there are certain dogs that don't have what it takes to come back into society. But let's say 99% of dogs deserve a home, 100%. But my biggest problem is, is that there's more, the more average person isn't capable of raising a shelter dog. That's the way I see it. Hey guys, it's Luke. Uh, I just wanted to take a moment out of the podcast to thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, Obviously, we don't just do this show just to hear our own voices. We love the fact that you guys take the time out of your day to listen to our episodes each and every week. And on that note, if you are enjoying it, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast listening app. So whether that's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could hit pause on this episode and and go and leave a review or a rating on the platform that you're listening into, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people like yourself find the podcast uh, and helps us to reach more listeners and, and hopefully grow the show and grow the community around it. So we'd really appreciate it if you could. And thanks for listening. Biggest reason is you don't know what the dog's past has been. That's the number one thing for me. You know, when you own a puppy from young, you know straight away the dog's triggers, the dog's fears, the dog's anxieties. Um, You know the dog through and through. You know if there's been any past trauma, so you know what to look out for in the future. And you create a big picture of this puppy in your head and you, you know exactly how to deal with it. Whereas you've got someone, a young family, that because I've trained so many of them, you know, so many families I've trained where you know they found a dog, you know, let's say lost somewhere and it's had like a you know chain tied around its neck and they've had to operate and all this shit. And it's like, man, you don't know what the fuck these dogs been through. You know, all it takes is fucking someone to come in your house who's wearing a red shirt and a black hat like the fucking his old owner does, and it's on. Do you know what I mean? Like dogs remember these things, and it's just I don't know. I feel like there needs to be more education on 
some people should buy puppies from ethical breeders and some people are able to obviously, maybe there needs to be some sort of, I guess, training program in order to adopt a puppy Mm. from a shelter or or something like that. It's just, like I said, it's a lot of people getting in over their heads. Um, You know, the, the shelter may give them a sob story and they feel sorry for the dog and they take it on board. And then the last thing I want to see is this dog rehomed again. Mm. So that's that's one aspect of it, and I'd like to hear your feedback on it. Um, well, I guess, first of all, I think, well, what are we going to do with all the dogs? Because a lot of them. And, you know, can't destroy them all. So I guess I, I understand your, 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 on what you're saying, and I'll agree. When there's certain shelters that aren't allowed by policy to actually say or to reject somebody from purchasing a dog from that shelter. So it's like if that person wants it and the dog's available, then they're not allowed to say you're not allowed to have it yeah. because whatever. Now they can try to um, discourage them and give them their feedback and their thoughts, but they can't say I refuse sale of this dog. So some shelters just by policy aren't allowed to even do that. And you're right. There should be, well, there should be something that allows us to understand, well, what are the benefits of getting a rescue dog compared to raising a puppy for, from the start? And then also what type of puppy? So, like, I'm a family. I don't have much time. I want one of your puppies, Andre. <laughs> You're like, no, yeah. bro. It's not happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got no time to even wipe your own butt and you know, have, a, have a working line dog in your house. And and I've been to plenty of those houses. Don't you worry. Um, so, um, and I've been to the houses where they had no business rescuing that dog from that yeah. shelter. And I'm like, wow, you are so well in over your head. And the, the dangers aren't just what's going to happen within this household. The dangers could happen outside of this household where another dog or another person is injured or even worse. So it's just hard because the more rules we make, you know, if we treat everyone like children, then we keep acting like children. You know what I mean? Like we we need some responsibility and, and I get it as well. Like don't ever um, buy a dog from, from a breeder because, you know, and they'll come up with their own reasons of, why rescue dogs are, and we've done an episode way back talking about adopt the verse shop yep. you know um what, what does it take to adopt a dog and what does it take to get a dog from from a breeder and and i think you know i should listen to that episode it's probably like three years old so i'd like to hear what i'll probably I, have a listen to it as well yeah yeah but um look i think there is a time and place and you know from the clients that i see a lot of dogs are purebred from from a breeder wherever or or, or somewhere and then there are heaps of you know rescue dogs and and shelter dogs that i see so it's and sometimes this is the worst thing is that when you see as a comment look what's going to happen here you're like that dog's going to be back and and that dog goes in your home adapts perfectly it's the best dog and it's like oh wow i was actually wrong damn it so Look, that sucks because if you know you're you're wrong, then it's like, damn. If we make a blanket rule, then 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 those amazing dogs don't get to enrich that family, and 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 those you know, and another topic of discussion that we're going to get into. I guess that would tether straight into it. But it's just, it's it, it does become difficult to to make the blanket rules, but also there should be some sort of recommendation. But the problem is that we have so many different camps in this in this dog industry not just about positive versus balanced, about adopt versus shop, about, you know, all that. And they're so extreme. It's that you really, we really do need to find a good, comfortable, happy balance. And, you know, it's something that I guess I'll put a little bit more thought into because it is, it is interesting. Look, uh, the way you say it as well, man, it's one of those things where it's you, the battle can't be won Um, because I guess like you're saying, if once you put even more rules onto it, then you do have amazing dogs that don't find homes. So it's hard. 
it's hard. It's I guess my whole thing is I don't. How want do we to stop backyard dodgy breeding? Yeah, because I feel like the ethical breeders that are doing what we should be doing, we shouldn't be receiving the hate that we get. Yeah, because people have done the wrong thing. Yeah, it's like man, if the more like for example, if someone can't handle one of my dogs, I take the dog back every time, guaranteed. There's no fucking way one of my puppies is going to a fucking shelter or I'm going to allow someone that doesn't know anything about breeding to rehome that dog themselves. Mm-hmm. That's my contract as well. I take the dog back if you can't handle it. Okay, so the more ethical breeders we have that operate that way, you're going to see naturally less dogs in the shelter. Do you know what I mean? It's just that's how it works. But, again, are we ever going to stop backyard breeding? No. So it's it's. Uh, I think education is the, the key here. And, you know, I guess, I don't know, you know more about the shelter work than I do. Do these adopt, you know, people that come in and adopt a dog, where does their training begin? Where does it end? Is it, you know, does it, is there any training done and given to these people when they're getting a dog or is it kind of just they give them a little pack and then see you later? Good luck. Well, look, I, I um, help out at Southern Shire Animal Shelter. And they give a little adoption pack. There's some paperwork. And actually, just the other day, I was going because I had to do an, an assessment on a dog. And he yeah. got the dog from the shelter a couple of years ago. And I was going through, like, just getting his details and stuff. And then at the end of it, there was like, oh, yeah, I remember I did draw um, write this up. And there was a little, um, like, four or five pages of, like, you know, when you get this dog, things to consider, what to do, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, there's a little bit of a discount there if, you know, if you've adopted yeah. through them, blah, blah. And um, so, so there is that that they do that they specifically do recommend me. Um, it's hard for people to, you know, because they're a council as well. It's very hard to kind of, you know, just lots of logistical issues and stuff. There's, it's hard to um, work on that logistical side. So they recommend it. They they um they help out. It's just and we do go there regular. I do go there regularly to help the staff to and the volunteers to understand what to do, how to handle the dogs, yeah. what sort of very basic training the dogs can receive instead of going for their big long walks. Yeah. How about we go into the car park and do some training with the dogs? You yeah. know, that's so much more beneficial. Give them a walk right after you do some training, but make training a thing. Don't don't think of walking is the most important thing. Doing training and fulfilling that dog's mind and body is more important and even better do both. I think that's awesome. So, um, so there, there is efforts except, you know, we get infiltrated, like, you know, for example, SSC are awesome. They, they, they have my back. I have their back and we've been working for like, you know, a decade sounds crazy, um, together. So, but there are other places where they couldn't accept, they wouldn't accept me. Their ideology wouldn't accept the fact that I use slip leads and, and martingale collars and, you know, and use pressure in training. So, just that alone stops the help of these dogs that need yeah. the help the most. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, you know, I guess it is an issue, but then how about a breeder when they, when they go, here's your puppy, you know, should there be some training attached to that? Like should training, I think we have to, and I think it will become this way, but I think training has to become a standard, just like finding pet food and finding a vet and your training. Those are like the three things that you need to be mindful of. It's happening in the last decade. It's exponentially grown and become a thing. You know, when 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 I first started doing it, they'll you know the trainers that were actually dog trainers are like, "Don't get in this if you want to like you know live off it. It should only be like a side hustle because it's just not a thing." And right, that's not true. Over. What's that? Sorry, 
I didn't know that. Did you? How did you find that changed quite quickly after you started, or was it still? Kind I of- think I got in it just at the beginning of it becoming a thing. I think Caesar Milan really helped that. I think yeah, once beautiful. once the dog whisperer came out, it was like, oh, dog training is a thing. We can train a dog, and you know, I think um, we have we have a lot to to thank Mr. Caesar Milan. Yeah, right. Um, that's, that's cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, that's been my observation. Obviously, there's there's been a whole bunch of others, but you know, I just don't think. 20 years ago, getting a dog trainer was a normal thing. It was like, oh, you're getting a dog trainer. Even now, it's a little bit like, wow, a trainer. But it's like, you should get a trainer for that dog. Yeah. Where, yeah, yeah. you know, 50 years ago, people didn't even have fences. The dogs were just like roaming. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I guess that that ties into those dogs that end up in shelters because you don't go to shelters and just see purebred working dogs. Sometimes you'll see, you'll see one be like, whoa. But usually you're seeing, you know, bitses and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. that means- and I guess this is this is the thing as well. If we think about dogs traditionally, like society, society tradition, we have purebred dogs for specific jobs. Yeah. But I guess if you look at history, there was just like these mutts always walking around. Yeah. yeah. Like, when did that happen? That that yeah. fascinates me. Yeah, they all came from somewhere, man. Like, um, what were you, what's a golden retriever compared to a German shepherd? When was it that they were the same thing? Yeah, were they ever the yeah. same thing? Were they yeah. and where do they come from? Wolf-like dogs, like how are they so different? It just yeah. blows my mind. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it is crazy. And I guess that's what's uh, – I always say this as well. This is the weird thing about breeding. I feel that, you know, the dogs that we breed now, a lot of them aren't even natural anymore. Do you know what I mean? They're not even dogs anymore. Like, man, Ivy, my Dutch Shepherd, that is not a dog. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it's surpassed that point where it's – He's genetically you know, modified. Pretty much, yeah. It's, yeah. Honestly, they are. They're genetically modified, and you can't even treat them like normal dogs. So it's it's just such a big responsibility to have, and yeah. you got to know what's too much. Like, for example, I hate it when you have a Malinois that can't that has no off switch. For the people that like don't know, an off switch is you know if the dog is able to get out of drive and go into a calm state of mind where they can just relax. Now, um, there's so many Malinois out there that can't do that. They're just fucking pacing up and down their kennels. They're just constantly tearing shit up. They can't just do that and just stop. And, you know, to me, that gets to, like, borderline cruel. Mm -hmm. I don't want to produce puppies. That That's how they live. Imagine being that. And you're saying they like that because of their genetic state, not because of their management and training. Correct. Yeah. The problem is people don't understand you can have both. Ivy, for example, is the perfect, I guess, candidate for that. So- She's the type of dog that if she isn't shown a bite sleeve or a tug or something that activates her, you wouldn't even know she's got it in there. Do you know what I mean? She's happy to just lay around and chill and cuddle and that's awesome. And that's what you want. You want a dog that can do both. And yep. like like I was even talking to the sergeant at the New South Wales dog unit and I asked him, like, do you guys, um, this one when he wasn't crying about the litter that I've just had, I go, do you guys prefer Malinois or Shepherds? You know, because obviously the hype now is Malinois. Everyone wants a fucking Malinois. And he goes, mate, we still prefer Shepherds. They're easy to handle. They're easy to place with these handlers. Because don't forget, these handlers are not dog trainers. Yeah. So they're easy to place as well. And, you know, they don't sit there and bark all day in the fucking car when we're driving around and stuff. So they're still, even, you know, people say, oh, but they're built for work. But, like, sometimes that's even too much. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. don't want, no one wants a dog like that. Um, and that's the problem. That's why I think as breeders, we need to be responsible for 
how much are we fucking with with God now, right? Do you know what I mean? Like his creation and what nature is actually supposed to be. Um, everything in moderation, I think, is key. Um, yeah. Well, I feel that the same way, the opposite way in terms of when my dog Ace was really sick with epilepsy and was having a lot of seizures. And I'm like, oh, I think it's time. But then he comes good again. I'm like, oh, no, he's he's like normal. And I'm like, oh, shit, lucky I didn't kill him. Mm. <laughs> it's That's not like lucky I didn't put him on medication. It's like, no, 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 I killed him. Yeah, we can call it euthanasia to like soften it. But yeah. like I ended his heartbeat yeah. on my decision. Yeah. So I'm like, so who am I to play God? But also on top of that, it's fully 100% my responsibility to make that call. Yeah. Well, so, that's, that's the thing. It's, I guess, advancements in technology and, you know, our responsibility as owners, we have the luxury that we didn't have back then. Mm. Put it from both aspects. You can look at it like, who the fuck am I to play God? You know, I can't switch him off. But at the same time, it's like, no, no, we've got this capability now. Are we better off doing this for the dog? Maybe it's the shittest thing in the world and I fucking hate it. Every day I think about this, why cannot dogs speak to us? Um, because you just, it's just, imagine life if a dog could actually talk back to you. You could ask, mate, what do you want me to do? Are you happy to keep going? Fucking beautiful, let's do it. Do you know what I mean? Like it just be so much. Oh, when you first said if they could talk, I'm like, bro, that'd be so annoying. <laughs> that too. That, that too. Yeah, depending on the dog you've got, um, 100%, it can go either way. Um, it's like, do you ever shut up, bro? Yeah, be, be careful what you wish for, eh? Yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, if that just got activated later on in life, fucking beautiful. Because <laughs> it's such a hard decision to make. And But if they could talk, they would talk in scent, bro. That's true too. <laughs> I think, you know, that way, very philosophical now. But, um, but I guess that's interesting because, you know, you know, we, we anthropomorphize it by saying, I want them to speak because that's how much I relate to them. You know, and we were talking before about, you know, why you wanted to jump on um, and have a discussion about how do dogs, you know, influence and, and affect our mental health. And, you know, you want to speak a bit about that. And I, and I guess that's something that I'm, that I'm really into. I like yep. the fact that we own dogs and that they used yep. to have traditional jobs and in yep. places in the world, they still do. Yep. However, the main majority of dogs that live on this earth currently live in our homes as, as family and they're special gifts of nature and, and from God to, um, to help us in, in, on, a, on an emotional and spiritual level now. I think they've kind of evolved in our society to, to be that for us. And, you know, um, how do you feel about that and how have dogs influenced you? Yeah, 100%, man. I think uh, I'm happy you said that and brought it up because I think as much as, you know, as trainers, we really encourage training and we love obedience and stimulating the dog. Um, I think it's also somewhat more important to remember and I guess appreciate what a dog brings us. Mm. Uh, trust me, man, there's a lot of times, I don't know if you're this way, but there's a lot of times I regret becoming a trainer and getting really into training because sometimes I find, let's say with Delta, I work the hardest with Delta, right? Um, so I've set expectations for her really high and anything that goes below that becomes really frustrating. And it can almost ruin a day out, okay? And because you put so much work into the dog, okay? And, you know, little things like, oh, no, sit there. Oh, why are you doing that? Oh, why are you doing this? And you're not even enjoying your time with your dog anymore. Um, do you know who my favorite dog is? My dog, Mango. He was my first dog. The reason why I love Mango is I never trained him. He just, like, I trained him the basics, but that's where it ended. And he's one of the only dogs I have that when I take him out, I just kind of switch off 
and I let him be him and me be me and we just connect and we relax and we enjoy life and we enjoy the present moment and it's beautiful. Whereas I find that when I got into working dogs and becoming a trainer and that sort of stuff, uh, it's just, I don't know, you're in, you, you're always in this training mode and it's hard. I don't know if you're the same, tell me if you are, but it's sometimes it's hard to just switch off and be like, all right, I just want to enjoy my dog now and just be mm. a, a dog fucking person with my regular dog. Do you ever feel yeah. that way? Look, I, a couple of years ago, I pulled myself up because I caught myself looking at dogs as if they're things that need to be fixed. Yeah. Rather, like, you know, and they were like, they were things and this is like my do. And now because it's my job, there's there, there's like a duty to like, oh, see that dog doing that, it has to do this. And I guess that would be exhausting if you're a PT. It's like, oh, look at that guy's posture and his yeah. <laughs> prize aren't equal to his blah, 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 whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. Whatever PTs think about. So, um, so I guess it comes w- with that. But I guess I've always, and me personally, and, you know, the more I get into, you know, my career, I would like to enter the dog work, the the working roles. But I haven't because I knew it would become an obsession. Number one. Number two is that my passion still stays with dogs are better when they have an awesome dog. No, sorry. People are better when they have an awesome dog. So let's make the dog awesome for that person. And then that way they everyone's having the best time of their life. And so I guess you have to get into the training to understand how dogs operate. And then let's go. So, you want your dog to do this. And so we go through that whole process. To answer your question is, I think uh, that this whole topic, along with my personality and my temper and all that, if it's not going my way, I used to get mad because yeah. it's like, hey, bro, you look, you're making me look bad. Yeah. Um, I think spades in total taught me that as a lesson in life. You know, he's 12 years old and he and now he's an old man. We have like these, these moments. I look at him, he looks at me and it's like, He's like, yeah, you're being a fucking twat now. Um, yeah. So I, I really think that we're at that level of our relationship. We can have those kind of eye contact conversations. Yeah. But um, but I did a lot of dodge, like not dodgy, but like I was inappropriate at times with him. I was probably yeah. too mad, too much expectations. And I'm like, oh man, like you're just coming around with me and 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 doing work with me. Why do I? Why do we have to take it so seriously? Yeah. So with Chili, I think I've um. I've got a good balance. I think I catch myself out. I'm getting a little bit irate and getting my expectations are wild. And I'm like, oh, relax. Yeah. No one cares. Yeah. Everyone Absolutely. thinks he's awesome. Yeah. Like they look at him, they're like, what is this animal <laughs> that you share your life with? This is so cool. And I'm like, he didn't do that thing like what I said. And they're like, bro, relax. He's got things that I see. You know, so you have been, I think having a child has kind of helped me as well. And having the dog has helped me with the child relationship because I'm looking at it as, you know, I don't want to crush your spirit. I want you to work with me. I want to be in cooperation. Now, sometimes I have to put it on you, yeah. um, but it should be cooperation, not dominance. Yeah. And, um, and, and he knows I'm dominant. I don't have yeah. to even display it. He just knows yeah. it. Yeah. Now, he probably knows it through our play because I'm not dominant when we play, but he knows I can kick his ass. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you can kick mine from some from time to time too. So I think- incorporating a lot of play and i think the walk helps with with that so like i think every because i have chili i technically don't need to go for that actual walk yeah um i do because i have spades and nookie sitting in the backyard and nookie the little tiny maltese pomeranian going what am i gonna live my life in my backyard like this is ridiculous so we go for walks like as soon as i finish this i'll have some dinner and i will go for a walk because i'm time poor um and sorry just so everyone knows it's like i don't know almost nine o'clock at night, 8.30. So um, so they'll go for their walk, but I think the walk kind of helps us be like, we just do things and we try to balance out that 
coming out of the car, you do your thing, you lay down, dogs are going to bark at you, dogs are going to lunge at you, you have to chill it, stay there. Don't get affected by me correcting this dog because yeah. that, you know, you, you learn so much from it. So I think I did get stuck a little bit, probably within like that five to seven years into it where it was like a grind, dogs are chores. And I had to remind myself that, no, man, why did you even get a dog in the first place? And I think doing the podcast has really helped because yeah. I have to unpack a topic every week about dogs and remind myself, I guess. Sorry, what's that? You get an opportunity to self-reflect a lot too. Self-reflect. I guess I'm like that anyway. And if you yeah. listen to, you can probably yeah, tell yeah. that I'm a bit of a thinker, yeah. I guess. And I overthink things too. But, um, but no, I think it is tough. I think for a dog trainer to like lose the passion and the love because it becomes a daily grind. Yeah. You got to remember that these are animals and they have a soul and a spirit and they're alive and they're not just a commodity and asset. But then if I had dogs had to bite people for a job, then yes, they're like my gun in a way. And they are an asset. So traditionally dogs were literally used as an asset. And if they stopped performing, they were executed. And then so like it's, and that's what made them the things as they are, because we wouldn't have breeds if we didn't do that. If we kept every single dog, then we'll just have a whole bunch of random dogs and no specific breeds. So it's a very fine balance. I don't think there's, it's hard, especially in today's, you know, um, mindset where, you know, anything that's uncomfortable is offensive and gruesome and we can't talk about, you know, when a dog didn't perform, then we just killed them. It's like, no, you've got to save that dog. But it's like, no, but we want like purebred dogs that had specific functions. But then coming back to how we live our life, right now, if we keep this technological advancement, dogs are here to make us feel good. Yeah, literally. And um, we do training just to fulfill them. So they're not assholes, but also yeah. there's bonding and there's relationship in it. And you have to love the, you have to treat the, the act, the training, treat the training as if it's your bonding time and then really make sure that, you know, you got chill time as well. Um, that's my remedy to, to the question you asked, but I don't know. How do you feel about that? About what I said? Yeah. No, no, I a hundred percent agree. I think it's important to self-reflect and that's what I try to do when I go into these scenarios and where I feel these emotions and feelings, I, I sometimes I don't realize that in the moment, but then after I always, I'll literally go up to my dog and say, sorry, mate, fuck, I was going to fuck with before. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, just yes. a fucking dog and I'm just an asshole and that's it. And mm. I guess that's where I kind of back into, I guess, dog sports. That's where I kind of, um, I've kind of pulled away from dog sports for a bit for that reason. Um, like I was talking about, let's say with IGP, it's really like, perfectionism and stuff so like you know like let's say if i'm doing a nice heal with delta um in a session let's say i'm healing around the client's dog that's doing a long down do you know what i mean i just want delta to heal for me at that point in time that's all i care about she's ignoring that dog she's letting that dog become comfortable she's w- working for a toy and that's all i need her to do i don't want to add a whole nother layer of hold on though she's an igb dog too is she doing this heal perfect is she fucking forging is she mm. coming out of it do you know what i mean it's kind of like it heals it for me. It's just like, I've got too much to worry about, man. I just need to know my dog's healing next to me. She's doing a good job. We're helping this dog. And that's all that matters. Good girl. Here's your fucking toy. Happy days. Um, yeah. I, I think I, when it comes to like the, the, the dog sports, yeah, it has to be so specific because you got to be able to market so that one person's the best and one dog's the best compared to the other. And I, and, and it yeah. does get meticulous and I, and I fully respect and, and dig it. I think it's awesome. I just also think that, um, I have gotten interested in understanding all that because I can take pieces of it and then 
take it to the family pet owner and then yeah. kind of like integrate it. I could integrate it within my training with Chili just to be like, well, I'm doing healing. I've never taught a dog to heal in motion yeah. in my entire life except for yeah. Chili yeah. because I never gave a shit if a dog healed going, going well? Um, yeah, he's doing really well, actually. I'm pretty surprised. Um, you know, and and we're doing some really cool stuff. And I think it's been it's been awesome having him. I don't I do it so that I really do it just so that we do new things so we can receive his ball six times a day. Exactly. Otherwise I'm doing the same commands over and over again. Yeah. It kills my life. And also he's a business card. You know, he yeah. is the face of the business in terms of, well, you know, what I can't stand is a dog trainer that trains dogs professionally and can't display a dog. Yeah, I just sure. think it's crazy. That's why when when Spades was too old, I'm like, it's almost embarrassing. I can't come up, keep coming up with a ten year old dog. Yeah. Um, you know, he's getting slow and old, and he's not doing the things anymore. And he deserves to be relaxed and not have to deal with the shit we deal with. He got really good towards the end, but yeah. you know, um, having Chili has been awesome. He's like the perfect dog for the role. He's yeah. not. He's intense. Yeah. Um, but he's, but I, but he knows which window he has to be in at any given time. He's 18 kilos. I can literally pick him up. If he injured himself, yeah. I'm going to put him on my back. Yeah. He comes with me all day in the summer. I have not seen him gone. I'm too tired. Yeah. We're just on all day. He's a coolie, man. The guy is just bred to like run all day. Sounds so, a lot healthier to me. Like how you said how he knows what space of mind he needs to be in. in certain mm. day. And it's, it's good to have a dog like that. Yeah. And I learned that from the Jay Jack seminar too, like specifically to think about it, that he talks about there being four windows. Yeah. One window being we're playing together. Another yep. window is go off to do your own thing. Another yep. window is being completely chilled. Like we're in the house, we're not doing anything. We're just yep. chilling. And then there's another one, which is um, work with me, do the yep. work. Yep. And those four windows, a dog will be in at any given time. And how clear are these transitions between one to the other? And when he said it and actually had it on a presentation, I'm like, oh, wow. I never thought what about of it. it, isn't it? Yeah, I do it. I just yeah. never saw it like that. Yeah. That was cool. Like little things like, let's say, for example, I don't know about you, but I personally, I never do anything highly arousing for the dogs at home, pretty much ever. Inside the house or anywhere on the property? Just at home in general. Yeah, I follow that. Yeah, my dogs at home, um, they get cuddles, bones, you know, basic play and training, nothing that gets them over the top. Yeah. I want them to feel like at home is just a place to unwind, relax, and stimulate yourself in different ways, like chewing a bone, like this, the finer things in life. Um, so I guess that's already taken aspect of what you just said. That's the mm. off window. And then they only get their highly arousal stuff outside. Mm. Um, so it, I guess that's another good way. But again, life. in which window would he be in? Because again, like when you go into the details of it, it's like, well, when the leash is on and I'm walking for my dogs, yeah. we're just we're just walking. Now that would be... I don't know what window that is in. I guess that's a window of work because the slip leads yeah. on or the, or the Martin goes on. It's like, hey, buddy, work, we're walking. You can't just go yeah. do whatever. Admittingly, I can take my dog's leash off and go, hey, we're walking, like yeah. go. And my dogs would just be doing their own thing. That's them yeah. and, their, and the environment, except there's basic rules you got to follow, obviously, kind yeah. of run on roads and stuff. Yeah. Um, but then if I give a command, boom, in work. Yeah. And work means maybe play with you. Yeah. So. We play for a moment and then you go back into work when I give you commands. And yeah. then, okay, okay, we finish back into do whatever you want. Oh, but come back to me. The leash is on. We're going back home. Yeah. But you're right. And and I'm going on a tangent. Is that inside the house, I don't really do anything heavy duty. Yeah. It only happens outside the house because, as you said before, it has to be practical. If you want yeah. to recall, if you want to downstay, who cares if he does it in your backyard? You need him to do it when you're out and about, for yeah. sure. 
And the funny thing is it's, and I guess as a trainer, you would know this too, is people, regular pet owners, they do it the complete opposite way. They, they, they give all the dog all this crazy shit to do at home. And then when they take the dog out, they kind of just want the dog to be chilled, but the dog has no outlet outside, nor are they used to receive an outlet. So they just look for it elsewhere and they just have this crazy dog in all aspects. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's funny how people do it the complete opposite way. For sure. You know, um, it's, and I think teaching them the, the whole routine of what structure is, what training is, what's a routine and, you know, all the dog training geeky stuff. It's that the bottom line is you want to come home to a dog that makes you feel good. And, and for me, when, um, when I, my first dog, Rocky, he, um, the man, a dog like transformed my life in so many ways. And Yoni was in my life for a year, not even. And the two weeks leading up to, to his death, because I knew that he, you know, he had leukemia and that, you know, we weren't going to give him chemo. So he was on these like special tablets. It's going to keep him strong and yeah. he'll crash within a day. And it's exactly yeah. what happened. And man, like I cried my eyes out every day. I'm like, oh my God, this, like I love this dog so much. He's like, and then I thought, and, and I was so blessed and unfortunate at the same time to have that realization at like 19 years old to be that I got to think about. So, and I guess I had go went through a whole bunch of other stuff all at the same time, but oh wow, that dog really made me be the best version of myself. Yep. And that's why we're so attracted to these animals because they do that. They reflect things back to us. They, they fill the void. And for us to be the best for them, we have to be the best for ourselves. That's like what any leader has to be. So, you know, um, you got to perform under pressure. You got to get better. You got to be more fit. If you're lazy and you can't be bothered, but you got to draw a dog that needs you. It's like, well, I've got to walk every day. I don't want to walk at 10 o'clock at night. It's freezing. It's a cold snap out there. The last thing I want to do is go for a walk, yeah. but but I know I'm better for it. And anyway, I get extra steps in. I get to be connected to nature every day. Dogs are teaching me, hey man, you're a little bit irate right now. I'm not going to lie to you. You're being a bit of an asshole. Or um, does your dog run up to you when they are feeling threatened? Because I think sometimes, not in like a cowardly way, but like when a dog goes, hey, something dodgy is going on and they run up, they run to you, you're like, cool, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> I feel like yeah. a, a capable leader. That means I'm more responsible. I'm a better human for society. I'm better for my family, my community. So I think, you know, we don't think about it or talk about it enough. And, you know, that's why the podcast called Life With Your Dog, because it's everything involved with life with your dog. And sometimes that's heavy duty talking about training or nutrition or talking about all the things. And of course, we're going to geek out on dog training because it's the whole gig, you know, and and I'm pretty blessed. And I'm sure you feel pretty blessed to do this for a living because it's pretty weird and strange. man. I get a lot of like, I guess when you tell someone you're a dog trainer, like you, like you said earlier on, it's like they get a bit not weirded out, but it's just unusual. Um, no, it's like, like me. This is me at the party, four year old party the other day. It's like, oh, what do you do? And I go oh, like, oh, someone would be like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, mm. I'm a dog trainer. Boom, you know, you're screwed. You're <laughs> yeah, so yeah, screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, remember I said it to. I was um, at a this Serbian event a week ago, and I was talking to a priest, and he goes, oh, so what do you do for a living? I go, dog trainer. He goes, oh, okay. He goes, you live off that. Like, yeah, oh, okay. It was just a bit weirded out by it. it, it almost like he didn't take it seriously. Um, it's a weird, it's weird, I guess, to people, but it's people don't understand, I guess, how important our job is to some people. You know, uh, you, as you will know, you see the, you see people in the most vulnerable state. 
they've you know having a shit dog can be fucking hard so hard as trainers we may not feel it because we've just always had the ability to have a well-trained dog at home or you know i'm not saying they don't fuck up every now and then but you know all in all it's the life without dog is pretty good but imagine just fucking being locked in the house with a dog that's making your life hell you can't take it out dog's nightmare at home but you fucking love this thing so you're literally it's like so you can't leave the house because of separation anxiety you can't leave because it's intense aggressive no one can come over yeah you're a slave to your dog but you love them Exactly. And so that's the worst. Them, yeah. You can't change your lives. And and they literally affect your entire life. And mm-hmm. and then you just meet people and you're their last hope. And it's like and it's a huge responsibility to bear. And thankfully a lot of the times it's quite a simple fix. Not in terms of, you know, how quick it is, but more so you realize you make the person realize how it's not, you know rocket science not that hard it's just mm-hmm. putting things in motion sticking to a plan repetitions you mm-hmm. know having a guy good management and, just saves everything literally and, <laughs> literally. and you see that light switch on people's faces when they know like they you know they come to the session like fucking stiff they're literally stiff they're scared they're unwell you can just see that they're in a struggle and you see them leave and you literally see their shoulders have dropped they're just like they're a different person. They like they feel empowered. They feel like I can fucking do this. It's not that bad. Like I saw him. The dog did it in front of me. Like mm-hmm. completely. Like it's possible. The dog's not ruined. My life will be okay. So I think it's it'd be good for people. I wish more people understood just how much of a important role we have in society as dog trainers. Do you know what I, I mean? Think like, so, yeah. Like fuck the amount of people uh, like that you have crying to you in your sessions, and I give out hugs, and people are mm-hmm. so vulnerable, and it's crazy, yeah. man. Yeah, it's really crazy. Well, I um, well, I guess that's the whole uh, why I'm so passionate about the saying. You know, I teach dogs to live in our society. Dogs teach us to live in the now because it's a two way street. Everyone's learning. You got to learn this weird way of living, and yep. um, and you get to teach me a little bit about myself that no one that is hard to get from somewhere else because you're not talking to them. It's it's through it's through, as you yep. said, your own repetition. Your dog responds to you by your habits, so he'll respond to you. Hey. You're about to go to the cupboard to grab another drink, are you? Because I'm walking with you now and you're like, damn it, my dog even knows I'm going to grab another drink. I must have a bloody problem, right? Um, I just made that up this then, but I guess that's true. But, um, but yeah, I think, what was the point that you were just saying before? Oh, very valid. But anyway, that's, um, oh, yeah, when, when, when people are feeling vulnerable. Yeah. It's um, something that I heard recently, a, a good Jordan Peterson quote. He says, on the other side of your most greatest suffering is your greatest virtue. You know, and when you suffer on something so bad and you decide to delve deep and to fix it, on the other end of it is the best thing that you ever have. Yeah. And how many people have a dog that is like out there, horrible, aggressive, difficult, just rude, just destroying everything. People are like, oh, my God, what do I even do with this animal? And, you know, they they are compelled to do some training. They have to learn to they have to learn themselves how to teach a dog stuff. They have to be their own personal dog trainer for their dog. Yep. They have to learn all the stuff. They go through all the things. And on the other side of it, because the they will call it the bad behavior, the undesirable behavior compelled us to understand more about the dog. And now the dog is better for it. And actually is probably the best dog that he would have ever been. But the only way that he's so good is because he had so much drama and we had to work so hard to improve his quality that now he's the best. So I think 
as we kind of said um, at the beginning, is what makes them difficult to be. Like we're really good to be, a, you know, um, the greatest potential for a dog makes them a very can be a very difficult pet. Like a dog that can just hang around and just be there, you know. And um, I guess it also is like a symptom of how we are in society, how we see dogs. Yeah, well, it depends so much on like why you want a dog. Do you yeah, know what I mean? true. How, what sort of person are you? And obviously, everyone says it, but it's good to really understand yeah. why you got a dog in the first place and how does it fit into your lifestyle. And because obviously, people just sometimes end up with the wrong breeds, and that's when we got to step in. Like, I don't know, would you, do you have a number one breed that you, you know, get as a client, and you see like as soon as this client rocks up with his dog you're just straight away like fuck I, this isn't working straight away you can just see it like and if so what breed will that be for me it's german shepherds um that's my big one that i deal with where hmm. i just see so many people ending up with german shepherds that shouldn't be do you have like a number one i wouldn't say it's like i always does like i look at the combination you know i look at the combination of like the people and I'm like oh oh my gosh these are so you know, um, and and I and I guess I I wouldn't say a breed. I think down these areas, like you just see a lot of it, it's shifting, man. I guess it's hard, it's hard to say a specific breed, but I can look at a certain type of person and go, on, "You're like getting on now. Like you're not like twenty years ago when you had your old Roddy, your old Great Dane, your like your old large working breed, whatever it is, or even just large breed in general." Yeah. Um. You're 70 now. So yeah. <laughs> do the math. Um, yeah. it's, it's a little bit difficult. And I don't blame you for sticking with the breed, but every dog's different. And what and or the family, it's a, it's typically it's either the people that are getting on a little bit, and God bless you guys, I love you. And sometimes it pulls it off, but sometimes you, you you just choose the wrong breed for your current situation. And physical strength sometimes has to come involved with it. Or it's just a family that's just so busy, and they've and they've got the shepherd, they've got the boxer, they've got the, you know, Amstaff, you know, you name it. The the American oh, bull, yeah. bull is becoming more of an issue as well. With yeah. like, oh, I didn't know he'll be so intense. And like some people say they're really chilled. Some yeah. bullies are like <laughs> couch potatoes. Yeah. They're awesome, and others are just mental. Man, they're intense. I'm actually get to deal with an intense bully. I swear they're probably, if you had to ask what's the lowest drive breed I deal with on average, it's the bullies. Mm. The bullies. I've, I'm yet to come across personally one that's mental. They're all like quite difficult to get motivated, actually, the ones I've dealt with anyway. Uh, and I've seen heaps of them. Like most of them are like that, but then there's just, and and they may not be full bullies because what's a bully anyway? Just no, just existed two, da- yeah. two days ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, sometimes I just see that they're just – well, look, what I mean by that is like, yeah, at home, they're children and stuff. Like when people like when we're out on our walk and we see another dog, I'm like, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. You know, Um, so no, nah, I, I used to say, you know, American Staffies or, you know, the Shepherds, but it's hard, man, because some people shouldn't even have a dog. They should have a cat if that. That's true. That's probably, that's probably <laughs> the best way to put it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just – they fall in love with the story of having a dog, but not understand what it actually means to have a dog. And again, in our standards of living today, not how we used to live 50, a hundred years ago, you know? So, um, but dogs do make us better. And, but I think it's a good place to stop. I can continue talking, but I know that what time is it now? We've been going on for a little bit now. So, um, I think it's a good place to wrap it up, bro. That was a fascinating conversation. We covered so much ground. 
Yeah, I and feel like we a, got through a lot of different things quickly. It was good. Yeah, and I think this is a really good episode that I'm going to get people to be listening to, especially somebody who says, hey, I'm thinking of breeding dogs. I'm going to say, hey, listen to this episode yeah. um, because just things to think about, you know, the – and look, as I said, and it will be nice to conclude that even really ignorant people that you think have no business, you know, doing anything, sometimes pull it off and get the best results, and that can be frustrating and confusing. But um, but it is what it is, right? You know, um, that's why I don't want to be too certain about anything. Like I may have hard stances on things, but I'm happy to be open because I've been surprised, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I'll give you a quick example. Like let's say the last litter I had, Roddy litter, it's funny, you brought up a very similar scenario. You said, you know, uh, there's an older person who's had Roddy's their whole life and now they've got a Roddy again and it's just you can't handle it. Um, it's like someone that I sold a Roddy to. Um, I took a chance um, and to be honest, they turned out to be one of the best puppies I've sold to like a family. Um, mm. He's almost like this is uh, his name's Colin, top fucking bloke. He's doing an awesome job. Um, not sure exactly how old he is, but well into his 70s. and. Man, he's one of the only ones that does real work with the dog. Like he's nice. sends me photos at the park doing tracking and stuff, and he's never done tracking in his life. So mm-hmm. almost given him a new lease on life. So yeah, beautiful. Sometimes you find that people on the back end of their lives at that age, they almost need something like that to bring spark back. So yep. like, like you said, you can never you can never be sure. You always got to take a punt here and there, and you know sometimes it works out for the best. Um, yeah, it's it's tough, man. I think that's where like. You know, if we become too sciencey about our approach with anything, we screw it up. You got to have that feeling, that faith, that that intuition that really yeah. needs to come out. And and sometimes we just need to take some risks and some take some chances and be like, you know, heaps of people have different opinions and perspectives too. And and um, you know, I guess that's the reason for the podcast. And and I, and I love having guests on. It just gets me thinking. Oh, I don't really do. I agree with that. And then later, I'm like, oh, maybe I've been wrong about that. I'm gonna fix this and oh my gosh i've been doing things incorrect or whatever you know things that haven't been as desirable so i think it's important that everyone keeps an open mind even if you think yeah. you know some stuff and um you know i guess lessons for the day is give your dog an opportunity to teach you something work your dog and if you're going to breed a dog make sure you have some intention and some actual real goals behind you so hey bro thanks for coming on the show man really appreciate it religion bro we'll catch up soon in person and yeah We'll go for that walk and enjoy the dogs and nature. You know what? Fucking love it, bro. We'll do it. We'll tear it up. See you, bro. Have a good one. See you, brother. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name's Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel Nutris Pooches. Thanks for listening guys, my name is Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's K-I-Z-U-N-A, canine, C-A-N-I-N-E. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Kizuna K9 Training. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.